Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Are you loving the wrong Jesus? Yes, that's the opening question here on Viewpoint today. Are you loving the wrong Jesus? In a poll by the Barna Group, half of those who describe themselves as Christians didn't believe that Satan exists, and one-third were confident that Jesus sinned while he was on the earth, rendering him unable, unqualified to be our Savior. So it seems that the church today, there's a rising biblical illiteracy among professed followers of Jesus. Our biblical IQ, if you will, has never been lower, declares Pastor Greg Laurie, pastor of a large congregation out there in Southern California. He says a growing number of people now serve as their own theologian in residence. Have you ever heard of such a person? I'll bet you have. A theologian in residence. It seems that virtually everybody has become their own theologian in residence these days. Greg Laurie goes on to say what we believe about God and what he says about himself is the most important thing we could focus on and think about. In fact, what we think about God has everything to do with how we live our lives. Our views of God will determine how we react to what comes our way in life. Laurie goes on to say, we need to think and act biblically, not emotionally. Far too many people today emote when it comes to God. They feel, but they don't think. They see things like, I don't believe in a God of love judging anybody. My God would never do this or that. Or the classic, I'm not into organized religion. I'm just a really spiritual person. So we neglect theology at our own peril, because experience is never to be the basis for theology. Yet, in my recent book, a professor of theology at Fuller Seminary, one of the profound, revered evangelical seminaries in the country, declared we have to move on away from, shall we say, expressions of absolute truth, and we need, the only way we're going to be able to get people together is to base our theology on experience. That's what he said. Where does that leave you? Where does it leave me? Because your experience is different than mine. Greg Laurie goes on to say, yet someone will say, well, I just love Jesus. Can't we just set these other things aside, all these issues? Well, that's a nice sentiment. But here's the problem. What if you end up loving the wrong Jesus? A.W. Tozer, the famous theologian, said, Nothing twists or deforms the soul more than a low or unworthy conception of God. And there is no place, no better place to start than with God himself. So what does the Bible say about God? Does it matter to you? Interestingly, says Bill uh, Greg Laurie, The Bible never tries to prove the existence of God. It just simply starts with these words, in the beginning God. And that assumes the obvious. It assumes that people know that's true. 
And frankly, I think it takes far more faith to believe there is no God than to believe that there is one. So people today are willing to accept the premise of God, but it seems they want a God in their own image. As the famous atheistic philosopher Voltaire pointed out, God made man in his image and man returned the favor. And that's what we largely have today, a generation that believes in a God of their own making. Interestingly, the date was April 5th, 1993. April 5th, 1993. It was the cover story of Time magazine. On the front cover was a cross. In the lower right-hand corner were these words, the generation that forgot God. It wasn't talking about the generation that was going to forget God. It was talking about the generation that already had forgotten God, and that was in 1993, the year we formed Save America Ministries, as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. You know what Time Magazine had to say about Americans flooding back to church at that time? Here's what they said. Americans are flooding back to church, but church will never again be the same. And here was their analysis. Church will never again be the same because Americans are looking for a custom-made God, one made in their own image. Is it possible for us in a culture such as we have today to have any level of confidence if we, in fact, are creating gods in our own image unwittingly, even Jesus in our own image? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about this with a special guest, and our guest today is especially special because she happens to be of a generation that is known to have only about 5% who believe in a biblical worldview. That generation is called Generation Z, and she's joining us here on Viewpoint with a very powerful book and message, Stand Up, Stand Tall Call. It's a call to bold faith in a confused culture. Her name is Sarah Barrett. She's coming to us from Michigan today, and Sarah, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here talking to you. Well, it's interesting that uh, a fellow by the name of uh, uh, Greg Laurie out there would prepare such an invitation for us, an introduction for us, such as bad theology, are you loving the wrong Jesus? And apparently, he is of the same mind and heart that you are, and that I am, that the bulk of professing Christians today don't really believe God as God. What say you? That is so very true, because you really nailed it at the beginning that we are such a biblically illiterate society and a biblically illiterate church that we settle for our, our really our own opinions, our own feelings about who God is, about what is true, about morality, that we disregard the reality of God and who He is, uh, really for our own personal inclination yeah. about him. Can I ask you a question? Are you on speakerphone? No, no, I'm not. Okay. 
because the uh, signal is not coming through as strongly and clearly as it should. All right, we'll do our best. We'll continue on and trust that the Holy Spirit will clear up the signal and the message that we're communicating. Now, you have written this amazing book, Stand Up, Stand Strong. It's one of the best books I have ever come across in uh, 30 years, almost 30 years of broadcasting uh, on this and a broad range of subjects. What is it that caused you to believe as a Generation Zer, nonetheless, at 22 years of age that you could write such a book? You must have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. Hold that in abeyance until after this break. Will you do that, Sarah? Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back after this, friends. The book, Stand Up, Stand Strong. You must, must, must get a copy of this book. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. $16 will put the book in your hands. You will not be disappointed. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Our guest today here on Viewpoint is a gift to the body of Christ. That's how I I look at it. That's how I believe it. And I have told her that to her face. I am so thrilled that Sarah Barrett is joining us here on Viewpoint. She's the editor-in-chief of the Reb- Revolution, not Revolution, but the Revolution.com. What, do you, what is that, uh, Sarah? The Revolution is a teen ministry really founded by Alex and Brett Harris and their book, Do Hard Things. And yes, the revolution is a word that Alex and Brett made up to define a teenage rebellion against low expectations. So mm. it's really a rebellion against uh, rebellion in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's an interesting word. And again, we're getting terrible feedback uh, in our signal here. Uh, are you on a cell phone? I am on my landline. Actually. You're on a landline. Are you using headset? A headset? Uh, no. I could. Would you like me to call back on my cell phone and try that instead? Let's let's try that because this message is much much too important to uh, have uh, confused with a bad signal. Call me right back if you will. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, friends, unfortunately, when you're doing live broadcasting, uh, you run the risk of this type of thing happening. It could be weather. Who knows what it is? But uh, Sarah has a message that is so important. Uh, Sarah's message is so important that we that we dare not compromise this message. Are you there, Sarah? Hmm. Okay. Well, apparently she'll try again. And... Uh, I just want to encourage you, my friends, that we're living in a time, in a culture, that is so disastrously off base, even in God's own house. Our guest today talks about a worldview, 
She talks about a problem with a worldview that has been embraced, a cultural worldview that has been embraced by the church, has been embraced from pulpit to pew, and is actually desecrating the name of the Lord, desecrating the name of the Lord, and actually is leading us astray in this profound moment of human history when we're supposed to be preparing the way of the Lord for history's final moment. How are we going to do that if we have bad theology, if we're loving the wrong Jesus, if we're redefining God in our own image, something's got to give. And Sarah is back with us. Sarah, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I hope that this works better. Well, it's better. Turn the volume down a little bit. Okay, now talk to me. All right, how does this sound? That's much better. Okay, thank you. All right. Now, you have talked a lot about the term worldview in your book. That seems to be the very popular term among Christian apologists these days. One of my concerns with the use of the of the word worldview is that the real problem is not our worldview, it's our God view. Mm, yes, absolutely. And truly, our, our worldview needs to start with that God view. It needs to begin with our ideas about who God is. And the most important worldview questions are those questions that get to the heart of the character and the nature of God and how we view not just the world, but how we view God and how he rules over the world. Exactly. So if Jesus turned the patterns of the world upside down, then everything that he had to say and had to do, his very existence on this planet, was to express the character of God, not just to change some patterns on the, on the world. Definitely, definitely. Well, if you go back to the true reason that Jesus came to earth, it wasn't necessarily just to change the world, but it was to save the world, mm-hmm. because it was truly to pull us from the sin of the world. So, yes, truly, um, Jesus reflects perfectly the image and the character of God. In the late 1970s, a, uh, a movement began uh, called the Culture Wars, and uh, uh, many uh, renowned Christian leaders joined in the culture wars and were trying to convert the culture to Christ. And the problem that I saw with all of that is that how do you convert the culture to Christ when the church is not living according to Christ? It seemed as if it was totally hip- hypocritical, and we wanted the the world to live like Christians when the Christians were living like the world. Definitely, definitely. And truly, um, we try so much to make the church appealing Mm -hmm. to the world instead of simply proclaiming the faithful gospel. In other words, we tried to make the church relevant, but in doing so, we made it irrelevant. You nailed it. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that this world is never going to be a utopia. We will never change the world and make it perfection because the world is always going to do what the world has always done and that is rebel against God. So our goal is not to change this world so much as it is to point this world 
to Christ, knowing that Jesus Christ changes individual hearts and lives. And that's where the true power of the gospel lies. Most people would say, well, uh, you know, I I believe the gospel and I believe the word of God. Uh, I believe the Bible from cover to cover and the cover too. But if you look at their lives and the choices that they make, they're aligned mostly with the ways of the world and not with the ways of God. So there's a problem, it seems, in our understanding of what it means to believe. I think that we've totally distorted the biblical meaning of the word believe, and so it's led us into a false belief system that is manifesting itself hypocritically even while we try to save the world. Yeah, and I've heard it said that there's about only 17% of Christians that actually hold to biblical ideas on, um, they have a biblical worldview. And only and, seven, only 5% of Generation Z. Yeah, exactly. So those are very small percentages. Mm-hmm. That's a really heartbreaking statistic. And I truly believe that it comes down to the fact that we have departed from truly pro- proclaiming the entirety of the Word of God mm-hmm. and proclaiming how that actually changes our lives in in its in our in their totality that the word of god is total truth which means that it can be applied to every aspect and part of our lives you mean we can't pick and choose that which uh, feels good that which uh, seems to coordinate with my family or that which seems seems to coordinate with my denomination that god is really the only and ultimate authority that's about it in a nutshell, yes. <laughs> well, that's a hard thing to stomach these days in a culture in which uh, what's true for me is not true for you, and we all have our own thoughts, our own and emotions are guiding and governing the decisions that we make. Uh, as uh, As the phrase back in the 1970s used to say, if it feels good, do it. Or as a gospel singer once said in the 1970s, how could it be wrong when it feels so right? That right there is the very definition of a theory called post-truth, which we see happening so much in our culture. And a post-truth world is a world where people are directed, just like you described, by their subjective feelings rather than objective facts. So it's not a world where truth has ceased to exist, but where truth has ceased to matter. And I think we all we all do this, really, but we see it so evident in our culture, and every culture really has had its own version of post-truth. And we're, we're seeing that version more and more uh, prominently in our current society. All right, well, let's talk about the word culture, because in and of itself, the word culture is not a bad word. It's not a cuss word, uh, and it's not necessarily an ungodly word. The problem is, what does that culture represent, or what is embraced by that culture, what is communicated by that culture, and how it affects us? And uh, it's like swimming uh, today. Our cultural milieu is like swimming in a cesspool, isn't it? Yes, and you're right. That culture itself is not all that is wrong and evil in society. It's the ingredients and the ideas within the culture that make it either harmful or helpful. And yes, most of the ingredients in our culture today go against biblical truth, 
um, if we have ingredients that are toxic or corrupted, then we end up with what we see so much in our society, um, just dysfunctional ideas and unbiblical ideas. And the ingredients of, of, our, of our current culture uh, go against the framework so much of God's truth. So culture itself is not inherently bad because of sin, it is inherently broken, though. And I, I believe that we're seeing the brokenness of our culture very strongly. Yeah, uh, and, and God never called society. us to redeem our culture. He called us to, to minister the gospel to people individually, didn't he? Yes, more than necessarily changing our culture, Christians are called to be a culture, mm-hmm. to, uh, to have the truth proclaimed within the within the body of Christ, and then for us to go out and to proclaim the culture of Christ to the world. So, like we said earlier, this world is never necessarily going to be fixed until Christ returns. True. But we are called to point to the one who will fix it and who will one day say that all things are made new. Which means that you and I and all professing Christians are called to be ambassadors, we represent a different kingdom. We're not representing a particular nation in and of itself. We're not representing a particular denomination in and of itself. What we're supposed to be representing is Christ and his kingdom. And that seems to be embraced only in theory, for the most part, by professing Christians today, because if you look at the life patterns and practices, you would never know that they were part of the kingdom of God. Yes. Well, Philippians says that, you know, our citizenship is not of this world. Truly, we are exiles in this world. It's not mm-hmm. our home. But we get far too comfortable in, in our culture, in our society. We get so comfortable in the patterns and the ways of this world that we forget that we are meant for another world. Well spoken, and that's a tough thing for a 22-year-old to say. Uh, You're speaking as a 22-year-old young woman who is in a generation, Generation Z, that has been said to be the most disbelieving, unbelieving generation in American history. You are bringing a profound message And the words that we're sharing here audibly here on the air don't even begin to compare with the amazing presentation that you have given in your book, Stand Up, Stand Strong, A Call to Bold Faith in a Confused Culture. And uh, you may think you're speaking primarily to those in your generation, but I'm telling you, Sarah, you're speaking to our whole Christian community of whatever age, including pastor and uh, people alike. So I want to make your book available uh, to everyone. Uh, This is a classic for our moment, friend. This is a classic for our time. You deserve, in fact, you absolutely need to have this book and to read it with care. God has inspired this book by his spirit, I believe. Yes, out of the mouth of a young woman. He has inspired this book for this moment in time, and we need to take heed to it. $16 will put it in your hands. Never will a dollar be better spent. It's on our website, saveus.org, 
saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a, a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we're going to get the book in your hands. It's about the real meaning of the gospel. Sarah says if we believe the gospel, it will become impossible for us to live like the rest of the society around us. The truth of the gospel, she said, means that Christ's words do have authority to tell us how to live. And that authority changes everything. Sarah, it's really about authority, isn't it? It truly is. And the gospel truly reorders and realigns those authorities because there are so many authorities in our culture. But who do we look to as our authority? Do we look to uh, do we look to the people on social media? Do we look to the influencers all mm-hmm. around us? Who right. do we look to as exactly. our authority? Ultimately, the Word of God and God Himself is right. our authority. Absolutely. We'll be right back, friends. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on His mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcasts live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. If your view and my view of Christ's teaching is compromised, in whole or in part, we're going to crumble under the pressure to conform instead of standing strong in this hour of testing. I believe, friend, this is the hour of testing, and it's getting stronger. The testing is becoming stronger and stronger. And uh, if we are not seriously committed to the word, the will, and the ways of God at this moment in time and in history, we will crumble. You will compromise, and you will even receive the mark of the beast. And you'll justify it. You will justify it. You'll say, well, I had to. Well, that's what's being required today. Is that what you and I are called to do, is to succumb to the demands of the culture or an ungodly, defiant government? Our guest today, Sarah Barrett, is speaking profoundly to these issues. She says, the gospel changes our life purpose. The gospel designates a source for morality. The gospel defines what truth really is. The gospel reorders our priorities. The gospel realigns our authorities. The gospel infuses our hearts with hope and helps us to turn 
our world right side up, at least in the spheres in which you and I are living. So we have a choice. Sarah, I, uh, I am so moved. I think you can tell that with the uh, strength with which I am uh, embracing your book and your message. I believe that God has anointed you for this particular message. And I am so encouraged and so blessed by it. We believe the gospel, but we just don't believe God. It's as mm. if it's as if we believe in God, but we just don't believe him. What say you? Yes, yes. Well, first, uh, I have to give all, all glory to God. Absolutely. And thank you so much for your kind words. Um, and yes, truly, we, we've departed so much from believing that God, God's word is our true authority, that God, uh, that God has inspired his word to be our, our, really our foundation for how we should live, our, our guidebook. We believe that, we believe it in a way that it's not as relevant uh, anymore to our current society. So we twist it and mold it and distort it. Mm-hmm. to be what we want it to be instead of just looking to the word of god for our our everything yeah it, as you said it does it designates our source for morality it defines truth it reorders our priorities and choices it realigns our authorities what we trust as an authority it infuses our hearts with genuine hope and it enables us to be life changers uh, world changers, actually, in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Absolutely. And truly, I love how much that not only does the gospel do all of that, but it starts by changing our own hearts and lives. Mm-hmm. And then as we are ourselves transformed, we can go out and we can make a difference and an impact. I share uh, at the end of the book a story of or a quote from an atheist named Matthew Paris, and he says that he truly believes that his homeland of Africa needs God because he can see the difference that the gospel has made through the mission work there. And anywhere you look and you see people that are faithful proclaimers of the gospel, Mm -hmm. where you see that presence of the church, you see a difference because it starts with the difference that the gospel has made in individual hearts and lives first. But in this country that claims to be a country a nation under God, we've virtually abandoned the whole concept of that other than in theory. And uh, we're not really under God's authority at all. We're under the authority of our feelings and under the authority of an ever-vacillating culture. How can we ever feel secure in with, with such a false belief system? Well, truly, we cannot feel secure in in all of those things, because our own emotions, like you just said, they are ever-changing. The, the standard of morality, if it's defined by ourselves, is a shaky and unstable standard. And so there is no security to be found in looking to ourselves or our emotions. The only security that we can have is when we look beyond that and we look to the true source and standard of truth and morality, which is God himself. And I believe that's part of why we see so much. Uh, so much chaos, so much depression and anxiety mm-hmm. in our culture because we have departed from the source of truth and we're floundering. 
Yeah. And and so there's no stability. There's no anchor for the soul. Everything is shifting. Everything is uncertain. And uh, it's a very serious moment, a very serious moment. You talk about uh, every day that we we make choices between three options. We can live in sync with the world and follow the secular patterns and try to blaze our own path according to personal preferences, or we can push the issues of the world to the back burner in our minds and retreat from 100% following Christ so we could, we hold on to biblical beliefs on topics that make us feel good and speak out when it's not controversial. So we can settle for an easy life defined by compromise and subtle complicity. So we're going to be Christians but won't live like followers of Christ. Or the third choice, which is what your book really is about, is we can boldly counter the culture and live according to God's truth, no matter the cost or risk. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. What is that cost? Well, first and foremost, that cost is lifting our cross and dying to ourselves every single day, as as Jesus said, and he defined that cost. Um, there's other costs, of course. There's social costs where we'll not be popular or accepted by the standard of the world. Mm-hmm. Often even there's relational costs where friends and family don't accept us. But truly the main cost is simply that cost to die to ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Christ every day. All of this is somewhat breathtaking because Jesus spoke to this. In fact, he said that at the end of the age, people within our own families will betray. Husbands will betray wives. Wives will betray husbands. We don't want to think about this, but this was part of Jesus' message. He said children will rise up against their parents, parents against their children. Why would they do that? Well, really, like you just said, Jesus uh, told us all of this in advance, so truly we don't have to be surprised. And people rise up against one another because uh, because we don't want, we don't agree with the truth of, of the gospel. And that's what cancel culture is all about, isn't it? Exactly. It's uncomfortable for us. So when we approach and we have an idea that is uncomfortable for us, we push back against it. And the gospel is a message of discomfort to hearts that have not accepted it. It's not something that fits into our our comfortable lifestyle and worldview. It, it disrupts that. It changes it. And it calls us to a different standard of life. And that is an uncomfortable message. Wherever the gospel goes, it makes waves. You've said... It will be a risk to follow Jesus. Following Jesus always comes with some kind of risk or cost, and that's why he outlined that, that it is picking up our cross. You know, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will save it, and that's words from our Savior himself. Yeah. Do we really believe these things anymore? I, I believe that so much of the church has been has been changed uh, from these from these foundational beliefs that 
it's maybe something that we we know is in our Bibles, but mm-hmm. we don't actually live it out. Yeah. It's as if we have been marketing the gospel itself, trying to sell it to an unreceptive world, and in doing so, we've modified it, manipulated it, compromised it in order to make it more palatable, but in doing so, we actually have falsified the gospel and committed spiritual fraud. Absolutely, and it actually, just not that long ago, I had someone ask me, so how should we try to sell the gospel to Gen Z? How should we try to make this message appealing to the younger generation? And my response is simply that we, we can't. We don't, we don't sell the gospel. Instead, we are called to simply proclaim the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Yeah. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that draws people to Jesus. Our job is simply to be a faithful messenger, mm-hmm. to faithfully proclaim the word, and let God do the do the work of drawing people to Himself. And Sarah, that's exactly what you've done in this book. And uh, you've spoken the truth. You've spoken the truth in love. You've spoken it in a way that you can't dance around it. It just is what it is. And uh, when we present the truth of the Word of God. In a compromised way, what we're actually doing is defrauding people of the real gospel, aren't we? Absolutely. The truth of the gospel is enough. And really, to present it in an undiluted, it's unadulterated form, that is the message that has the power to change lives. But when we try to make it more culturally appealing, we dilute the entire message. And truly, to go to Jesus' words, Um, in Matthew, where it says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. I believe that there will be many people who believe that they were Christians because they believed a culturally accepted gospel, but they Mm -hmm. didn't actually know the true gospel. I couldn't agree with you more, and that basically is what Jesus said. He said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and precious few there will be that find it. But broad is the way that enters into destruction, and many will be those who go in there at. This is serious stuff, friends, if we really believe that Jesus is coming soon. When he comes, he's not coming to save us from our sin. He already did that once. He's coming to judge the world in and for its sin. And therein lies the problem. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a hard longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. 
Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. I've got to make this book available to you again. Stand Up, Stand Strong, A Call to Bold Faith in a Confused Culture. Indeed, we have a monstrously confused culture. In fact, even within our churches, a monstrously confused Christian culture. We've adopted the ways of the world in so many ways, and in seeking to market the gospel, we have actually turned Jesus into nothing but a mascot. I hate to put it so bluntly, but in seeking to market the gospel, to make it hyper-relevant or whatever, we have actually turned Jesus into nothing but a mascot. No longer is Jesus the master. He is merely a mascot. I want you to think about the implications of that. The book, Stand Up, Stand Strong, A Call to Bold Faith in a Confused Culture. This is a challenge to every single one of us. Not one of us is accepted because we're all swimming in the spiritual refuse of our current culture. $16 will put this amazing book in your hands. Life-changing book. Friends, this is a book... If, if you're concerned about touching the life of your uh, teenager, the life of your college student, the life of those who are in Generation Z, or even millennials, I tell you, they must be exposed to this book. And you may be the one to help expose it. And in doing so, it will actually touch your life. This is a book for our, this moment in time. I believe ordained by God for such a time as this. Our dear sister Sarah, whose name means princess, means she is a princess for such a time as this to communicate this message for all of us. $16 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 2 Three two five five. Writing a check at five dollars for uh, postage and handling. Sarah, you say the most dangerous aspect of worldview beliefs is that you don't have to embrace the whole to believe and be influenced by the part. You don't have to fully reject the Christian message to hold a worldview riddled with unbiblical perspectives. It's possible to believe in God without letting a Christian worldview impact your daily life. Absolutely true. How does that work? Well, a worldview is a composite of ideas, really. And ideas have consequences. Mm -hmm. They have consequences on how we live. They have consequences in the ways that we engage with the world. They have consequences with the very uh, foundations of the world itself. So understanding the foundations of worldview is so critical to engaging with the world in a biblical way, to building our life upon the very truth of the Word of God. So to truly, uh, to truly live out the entirety of the gospel, we have to understand not only our own worldview, but also what other worldviews there may be, mm-hmm. and make sure that our worldview is not polluted with the worldviews and the perspectives of the world around us, because ideas are everywhere. They're in every media outlet. They're in every 
a song, TV show. Ideas are truly all around us. They're surrounding us. So are these ideas infiltrating our own worldview, or are we evaluating these those ideas through the filter of the gospel, looking at everything in our society through the lens of, is this biblically true? Does this align with the Word of God? And making sure that all of the ideas that we hold and believe are ideas rooted to the foundation of the Scriptures, first and foremost. All right. Let's take the word gospel. They say the devil's in the details, and so is the truth. Uh, we use the word gospel uh, very generically uh, in general Christian parlance, conversation. And uh, what does gospel really mean? Try to distill it in its uh, most essential elements. Well, the word gospel is truly, uh, it means the good news of the fact that we have a Savior mm-hmm. who is able to pull us from the depths of our sin. The gospel is the news of the most culture-changing, life-altering news that this world has ever known. It's, it's the message of the cross, the resurrection, and a Savior whose love goes beyond all comprehension. It's a a reprieve. It's good news precisely because of the extreme bad news. The extreme bad news is that the consequence of the wages of sin is death. We are all appointed to a spiritual, eternal damnation without the redemption in Christ and embracing it fully, aren't we? Absolutely. That's not preached anymore. Yeah, Truly, we we have forgotten the message that there is no unrighteous, no, not one. We've forgotten that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we've diluted the entire concept of sin and of hell and all of these foundational biblical truths, and we've settled for a very compromised message that is kind of, that that looks so much like the message of the world, that if Mm -hmm. you're just a good person, then you'll go to heaven. But that's not the message of the gospel. Yeah. So the gospel itself stands in radical and stark uh, contradistinction to all of the other viewpoints out there. And by the way, we chose the term viewpoint for the title of this program precisely because there is no such thing as a neutral viewpoint. All viewpoints, however small or great, determine destiny in the course of destiny, don't they? Yes, yes. And all every viewpoint, like you just said, um, all the different worldviews and religions of the world, they all agree that there is something wrong with the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they don't all agree with the solution. What is the solution? The gospel is the only message that points to a Savior outside of ourselves. Every other view looks to us, to humanity, as our own Savior. But obviously, we need someone outside of ourselves to save us. Well... All of the other religious views, spiritual views of the world historically, all end up believing we can save ourselves. We become our own Messiah. It's fascinating. And what you didn't know is that my new book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, is soon to come out in August. And uh, it shows page by page with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of citations throughout history how we have deceived ourselves, the world has deceived itself, and uh, thinking we can save ourselves. Science 
now increasingly believes we can save ourselves. Just all we need is a little more technology. But the, the reality is this battle that we're talking about, it's actually not a culture war. It's a war. It's a spiritual war for our hearts, isn't it? Yes, and we so often neglect the fact that the the battle is not ours, it's God's. And uh, we forget that Ephesians says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but there are actually principalities and powers at work in this world seeking to blind us from the truth, seeking to devour our hearts, mm-hmm. uh, that there is an enemy that's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom we may devour. Absolutely. And that's really where the battle of culture lies, is in the, in the realm of the spiritual world. Um, we just see the effects and the impact of it in this earthly uh, view viewpoint. Paul also wrote, he said, that the weapons of our warfare, that is spiritual warfare, are not fleshly or carnal, which is what many, much of the so-called uh, culture warriors within Christendom and conservative politics have been doing for the past 30, 40 years. They're not carnal. They're not fleshly. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Then Paul goes on to say that we are to not be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then back to Ephesians, he says, look, we're to bring every one of our thoughts into obedience to Christ. That's what we've been unwilling to do. We've allowed our thoughts to be called into obedience to the culture and its ways. And because of that, the culture itself within this country has become a measure of defining deviancy down so that it's almost unrecognizable to a nation that was formed on the foundation of the scriptures. Yes, and really that verse in Romans, Romans 12, 2, is such a pivotal Mm-hmm. founding place for for how we are to live in this world, because the world is seeking to conform us every day. There is pressure all around us seeking to conform us, but we are called to be transformed by the beginning in the renewing of our mind, and then that renewed mind can go out, and it, it impacts and it changes and transforms everything else about our lives, how we think, how we act, what we believe. Um, but it starts with being renewed in our mind through the power of the Word of God. Let me ask you a question, Sarah. If uh, you were appointed by the pre- a president of the United States to become an ambassador to some country, and you disagreed with the foundations of that country and disagreed with the... Uh, the political and uh, belief system of the sending president. What do you think would happen to you? Well, I don't believe that I would make a very effective ambassador if you don't actually believe the ideas there. You have to you have to start with um, a belief in mm-hmm. what you're what you're representing. What well, you're let me tell in. you what would happen to you. You'd be recalled you would be recalled as a purported ambassador. 
Now, let's apply that into the spiritual realm. How many people out there profess to be Christians but do not agree with what God says on every issue in his word? They say, yes, but. God says, I hate divorce. We say, yes, but. God says, Jesus said, if you will not forgive others their trespasses, neither will you have heavenly Father forgive you. We say, yes, but. So we're not proper ambassadors. Are we not subject to being recalled if we persist in that kind of rebellion against kingdom authority? Well, that reminds me of what Jesus said to the church in Revelation that was lukewarm, Mm. that because you're neither hot nor cold, well, then I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I would wish that you were either. Uh, And that's, uh, that's a picture, a sobering picture of so many Christians today that they're neither hot nor cold, but they simply have a kind of lukewarm religion that mm. will be recalled and rejected by Christ. I don't want to be lukewarm. I know you don't want to be lukewarm, and uh, it's precisely because you don't want to be lukewarm that the Holy Spirit, I believe, has used you and is using you, Sarah, as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation, just as this ministry, for such a time as this. May I ask you to just pray for all of us, for all of us, including your own generation, and the parents and grandparents out there, that we will seize this moment to truly follow Jesus? Absolutely. It would be my honor to pray right now. Um. If y'all would join me, then I just pray, Heavenly Father, for an awakening to your truth. I pray that you would help us to come back to your word and that you would raise up people who would be faithful proclaimers of the gospel of the word of truth. And I thank you so much that you are raising up this generation. I pray you'd help us to be faithful ambassadors, holding to every part of your word. May you strengthen us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, friends. That's the message. I hope it's touched your heart. Get the book, Stand Up, Stand Strong, A Call to Bold Faith in a Confused Culture, $16 on our website, saveus.org. Become a partner with us as we're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour right here on Viewpoint every single day. God bless you. Tell your friends, Romans, and countrymen about the program. Let's get the message out for such a time as this. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.